0: Hi, I'm Brad Geiger, the creator of Evil Inc., the editor of webcomics.com and the co-host of Comic Lab. You can check me out at Twitter, at Geiger, and at my website, evil and you are watching and listening to Two Geeks Talking.
1: Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we're the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries, and of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by a returning guest. It has been a long time, and I am so excited to have this guest back on the show. It's been about 13 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) The last time was at C2E2 2012 at the Webcomic Pavilion. I gave him the moniker, the godfather of webcomics. We are joined today by the ever-talented brad geiger how are you doing today
0: <laughs> thank you kurt that was fantastic i'm doing great i'm I'm doing absolutely wonderful
1: i know it's been far too long since we last talked but i was always curious uh, if you remember that that godfather web comics comment and, and did you ever get that cat that you uh you know the white fluffy cat that you were going to stroke and you know plan world domination of the comic industry Did did you ever do that hope you don't mind
0: <laughs> no that's a, that's a that's a big compliment because uh there's, there's there's a lot of people that that uh maybe deserve that mantle a little bit better than I do but uh but I appreciate the thoughtfulness behind it
1: so you're right. There are many people that have been in the, the comic industry and webcomic industry from back when we started the show in 2008. You've yeah. been an amazingly talented person with, with Evil Inc. and webcomics.com. I'm jumping ahead of myself here, as I normally do. For those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, and shame on them for not knowing you, tell us who yeah. you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talking.
0: Uh, my name is Brad Geiger, and I started doing web comics in February of 2000. So I and I've been publishing continuously ever since. I started with a comic strip that was called Greystone Inn, that turned into Evil Ink after five and a half years, and then in about 2016, I reimagined the comic strip as a graphic novel. I rebooted it, and it's been going ever since. Uh, I've also done uh, for the last 10 plus years uh, webcomics.com, which is an advice and tutorial site for other independent cartoonists Uh, that I started in 2010. Uh, back before the web was really ready for subscriptions at that point. In fact, I, I got a massive pushback on uh, doing webcomics.com as a subscription site. It was night and day different from the idea of uh, Patreon and other subscription sites that we have today. Uh, it was it was very, very different.
1: What is the most misunderstood aspect of about being a comic creator in today's world, that people who don't follow comics misunderstand.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think the biggest one, and, and I think it was one that I misunderstood uh, an awful lot, is that the amount of time that people like me spend not drawing and not writing right? It's, it's it's a question that comes up all the time. I actually start to chart it here and there where I can say, okay, in, in one eight or nine hour day at the studio, how much time am I spending writing and drawing? And the answer is not nearly as much as you might think. A lot of it is going towards social media. A lot of it is going towards just administration things, just, just business things like uh, paying your estimated taxes or keeping. Keeping track of expenses and and just keeping a budget. A lot of it is just the nuts and bolts of doing business on the web, like website maintenance. And when something goes upside down, you've gotta you've gotta fix that. Most of my day ends up getting chewed away by these little things that aren't writing and aren't drawing. Great example. I'd say about 80, 80 percent, 85% of the people that access the web are doing it on their smartphone phone, right? That's had to change how people like me present our work. Uh, And we saw it coming for a long time. For years and years, we knew the smartphone was coming. And now it's undeniable. So now if I'm doing a comic strip or if I'm doing my graphic novel, I've got to make sure that that thing appears as a vertical scroll. Uh, And my website has a desktop version but it has a phone version that it automatically switches to if the user is using a phone. It's gone beyond advisable and it's gone right into being crucial that if you want your stuff to be read, it's got to be in a, in a vertical scroll or, if, for example, on Instagram, it's a horizontal scroll you're going panel by panel. The screen is small. And nobody wants to pinch and zoom and move out their finger all around. It's, it's, it's hard enough to get somebody to actually slow their scroll down long enough to get you to, to, to read something. You're going to ask them to pinch and zoom. I see people putting four panel comic strips on Twitter yeah. and, it, and I, I, I pull my hair out by the roots because it's like, you might have good stuff. Nobody's ever going to know because you're literally hiding it in plain sight. Nobody's going to pinch and zoom and do all that stuff. All that being said. That means that every comic that I do, I've got to prepare it so that it can be broken down into a vertical scroll. Every page that I design, I have to plan in advance. If I'm doing a a not so standard layout, if I'm, I'm pushing the boundaries a little bit, I've got to still make sure that I can crop that into chunks that I can put into a vertical scroll or else I'm not going to be building audience and I'm going to be losing ground. All of that takes time. Uh, In fact, Thursdays in my uh, studio, I do that. And I think yesterday, it might have taken me as much as an hour, uh, maybe an hour plus, because... It's just not a vertical scroll. You got to have it in one format for Twitter. It's got to be one format for Instagram. If you're mirroring your site on Webtoons, something like that, I've got a whole bunch of folders with all this other stuff, fine-tuned so that it shows up right in the place I'm putting it. That has nothing to do with drawing, nothing to do with writing, nothing to do with what 12-year-old Brad thought being a cartoonist would be like. But then again, 12-year-old Brad had no idea of everything that was in store for actually being a cartoonist but to answer your question is one of the things people don't understand just how precious little time i actually get to write and draw
1: yeah it's amazing the like you said the administrative side of things like just the show alone it's literally i'm going to five different social media sites just to try to get traction for things like this And, and live streams are a great way to do it as well too so Technology has evolved and changed as much as we haven't, (laughs) but we try to do our best.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that was really, that's the big thing right now is I'm 53 at this point. I've been doing this for over 20 years and that's always the specter the phantom off the side of my peripheral vision when do i lose my ability to keep up with the changes cuz we web cartoonists have have gone through i think i counted i technically consider this the fifth age of web comics we've gone through four major ground shifts in how we did business and how we presented ourselves and we've been and and, and we've been able to uh, swing with them pretty good but at some point, I, I'm just scared at some point uh, I get thrown from the horse and I'm not able to get back on, you know, because things are changing very very quick especially right now with artificial intelligence and web 3 issues that keep popping up Ugh, there's a lot of changes it's it, it, it's it's easy to get a little bit overwhelmed by it uh sometimes and just sit quivering in the corner <laughs> you know
1: you've had a lot of uh, creative talents over the years here as well to uh, Webcomics.com obviously has been an amazing staple for advice and creativity as well Dave Collette, of course we can't we can't talk about of course the Comic Lab podcast without talking about Dave Collette. I mean, right? for a little history, and, and I'm sure you can fine-tune this a lot better than I can, the Half-Pixel crew back in the early 2000s and probably earlier than that was a group of four very talented, creative people that are still very talented and creative. Yourself, oh, yeah. Scott Kurtz, Dave Collette, and Chris Straub. Speaking of which, how are all of those guys doing?
0: They're all doing great. They're all doing great. Scott is working on a young adult graphic novel right now. He just turned in his first book and he's working on the second one. He's doing very, very well. Chris is doing fantastic. I think he's doing a lot of stuff with the Penny Arcade crew. He's doing stuff with Acquisitions Incorporated. Chris was always the one among us that was like, uh, it, it, you can't even call him a triple threat. He's a quadruple threat, a quintuple threat. He He's one of these people that can do everything, you know, acting, music, uh, writing comedy, performing comedy. He's amazing. And Dave, listen, Dave is, he's got a special place in my heart. We've been doing Comic Lab for five years now. Uh, every week we've been putting out two podcast episodes, one public, and then an extra one for our Patreon backers. And it all started out of our love for just picking up the phone and talking comics. And he—and finally, we just, we just decided that we should have some microphones on. Uh, because it was it was too good uh, to, to to pass up, and and we'd be talking anyway. Uh, we might as well uh, record these conversations, and and the result is a podcast that very much people keep uh, telling us it reminds them of. There was a radio calling show on NPR called Car Talk, and it was where these two old guys people would call in and tell them what was wrong with their car, and then these two brothers would would try to figure out what was wrong with their car. But the whole time they were taking shots at each other and laughing. And they just, I I loved watching or listening to the show because uh, they're, Friendship and the love for each other was so contagious. I didn't. I. I can't change my oil. I. I can barely keep the air pressure up in my. In my tires. But I would listen to that show every week, and it's a real compliment when people say uh, that they. They're re- reminded of Car Talk when they listen to Comic Lab because it's got a lot of those same elements. People write in with questions, and we try to give them our best. Thoughts on it uh, with each of us having 20 plus years of experience, but mainly we're, we're just there to, you know, take shots at each other and, <laughs> and, and, and make fun of each other. You know, that's that's the best part <laughs> it is 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 just being able to kind of uh, have fun during that hour talking comics with uh, with an old friend.
1: Hey, you, you've lasted this long in in comics. It's great to have solid friendships uh, all yeah. the way around too, and and it, I'm sure it makes your day go by when it, whenever you see someone that is a close friend, like those amazing people, do so well as they as they currently are as well. It's, it's I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of I look forward. We record on Tuesdays, and I literally look forward to it every week. Yeah, it. it I know not only is it going to be a great time, but it's uh, my heart is going to feel full afterwards. And, and literally, I plan you know, that uh, administrative uh, yeah. stuff that I was talking about. I plan a lot of that for Tuesdays because I'm so creatively drained at the end of recording <laughs> those two shows that I'm good for nothing. I, I That's a good day to do my profit loss sheets or do S, you know, my taxes or <laughs> any of those kind of business things. That's a good day to see, slice up vertical scroll stuff uh, because creatively I'm tapped out. I've got nothing at the end of that day.
1: You know, everyone usually asks, what's the wisest piece of advice or what's the most BS piece of advice that you've ever received? But what is the second wisest piece of advice that you've received? The second
0: wisest. That's a perceptive question. The second wisest. I'm not sure how to quantify it. I'll tell you the best piece of advice I never wanted how's that okay uh that, that because I think that that that's gonna fit and it's also right up there in the top two or three pieces of advice uh, you remember Robert ku he was the business mm-hmm. uh manager for Penny arcade yeah. we were sitting at a convention one time and we were talking and and I and, and by the way if you're at home and you're a web cartoonist or any kind of an independent cartoonist and this it, tell me if this sounds familiar and I was doing grace tune in I think back at the time I said you know what Robert I think I could be so much more popular. I think I could I could really get to the next level. I I think I could get to the point where maybe someday I could quit my day job if I could just get more people to look at my comic. If I could just get more eyes on my comic. I think they, if they if they saw it they would love it. The problem is getting them to see it. But by the way, tell me if any of this sounds familiar because it's one of the top 3 concerns of every creative person on the web right? And that was my obsession, right? How do I get people to just look at it? If they look at it, they'd like it. And he said, and Robert was always very direct. He said, you have the audience you deserve. And I said, what? (laughs) Wait, wait, what? I have the, he says, you have the audience that you've earned. And he says, if you want a bigger audience, you've got to take a good look at the barriers to entry." and remove those. So is it your art? You've got to improve the art. Is it your writing? You've got to improve the writing. And just between you and me, nine chances out of 10, having done this for over 20 years, most of the time it's the writing. A lot of us come into this because we're artists. I did. I came in because I was an art guy. And it took me years to figure out that the art is important, but the writing is crucial. The writing is super important and good writing saves art all the time, but great art can never save terrible writing. It just, it just can't unless it's a very, very special circumstance. I'm sure there's an outlier somewhere. Somebody will point me to, but go along with 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 this uh, thought that I've got going here. And that is that he said, you've got to take a look at how you're putting it out there, how you're presenting it. Those are all important. But he said, What happens is you can worry about all this stuff, but as your work improves, it's going to gather a bigger and bigger audience. And I'm telling you, that's the day. And and by the way, I won't say that's the day because that's a lie. I walked away thinking for sure that he was full of shit, right? I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm Brad Geiger. Don't you know (laughs) my mom Geiger's special little boy? There's no way. There's no way. It wasn't until a long time uh, that I, I, I reflected on that advice and then I started looking at my writing with a real critical eye. I really started to look at my writing, the cheap kind of writing tricks that I was relying on. And the fact that I wasn't pushing myself, I wasn't editing. I wasn't, I wasn't really giving it my full attention. I wasn't paying attention to the writing. And that's when I stopped looking for magic hashtags and stopped looking for SEO tricks, and stopped looking for a a demographic edge. (laughs) I stopped stopped looking for all the gimmicks, all right? Because it hit me. He had a good point. And when I stopped looking for gimmicks, I stopped looking for this one thing that's going to bring a million people to my site today. I started focusing on the quality, doing a better comic, because I wasn't doing a good comic at that point. And when I started fo- focusing on that, I started to build audience slowly, slowly. That's the worst thing about all this stuff. I wish I could tell you that it was, uh, it was a night and day. No, this, this thing takes, it took years and years to develop, years and years to, to develop a, uh, an audience uh, and to build that. But honest to goodness, there's no other way right? You know, those people that uh, hit you up on your Instagram DMs and say that they can get you, uh, you know, uh, 3,000 3, followers for 50 bucks, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, that's a scam. Yeah. There's only one way to do this. And the other thing is I finally, I finally really took this thought uh, experiment to the, to the full extent. I said, okay, what would happen if I could wave a magic wand and I could bring a million people to my website or to my Twitter page or you know wherever, bring a million eyeballs to my comic today, what would happen? What would happen? And it made me look at that comic in a completely different light because I realized if I waved that magic wand and brought a million people to my comic, uh, let's just say for the sake of argument, website, we could talk about all the people who are rolling their eyes because they think websites are out of date. Mm -hmm. I got news for you. I I, I got news for you. They're still very, very important, but let's say, let's say that I brought a million website visitors today to my website. The question then is, would I keep them? Would they come back tomorrow? It were would they be presented with a comic today? knowing nothing about the previous backstory or anything else. Remember, they're going to come in today, which means that today they're going to see page 13. Uh, they're going to see chapter 14, page 13. All right. Right in the middle of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Is there something there that's going to capture them? Have I made that page that I give an entry point to that page for somebody who doesn't know what's going on so they can at least figure out what the character tectonics are? did I write that page in such a way that it's got a shot, a shot at keeping somebody? What my thought experiment led me to is I could wave that magic wand and bring a million viewers to my website today. Problem is they wouldn't be there tomorrow because I wasn't doing that at that point. I wasn't thinking about each one of those updates as a self-contained thing. I do a long form comic. I don't do short form humor anymore. I don't do a strip. I'm doing long form. That's a big challenge to write each one of those sections in such a way that, and sometimes I fail. (laughs) That's just the way it is. Sometimes I fail. But my goal every time is to have some kind of an entry point on the first panel and something significant happening in the last panel. That's the other part of the formula as I've kind of uh, put it together. Something has to happen in that last panel. So many times you see long form creators on the web, they'll devote a page to somebody making coffee. Panel one is them grabbing the coffee cup and they've got you to the grinding beans, they're filling water. And then by the last panel, they're sipping coffee. Well, I got news for you. Nobody looks at that and say, oh my God, I got to see more of this. I got to see, I got to see if maybe tomorrow he dips a Danish, you know, nobody was interested in that. You've got to make something happen significant on each one of those updates. When I started thinking about my comic in those terms, then I started to see improvement, but I had to stop looking for magic hashtags and, and, and weird SEO tricks and stuff like that. I had to start focusing on the quality and specifically the writing. And that's the one thing I didn't want to do because here's the thing. Hashtags are easy. SEO is simple. Becoming a better writer is Devastatingly hard. <laughs> at least it was for me.
1: You get better with practice and get better with experience. Whether it's as a as a comic creator or even as a podcast host. I mean, it's taken me fifteen years just to to get to whatever level I'm at, and I don't even know what level I'm at. So yeah, it's it's a fun experience and it's a fun journey to find your creativity. And, and I think that that kind of leads into Evil Link itself because you've been doing this for so long. It's been an amazing comic as well. To you've linked, of course the the uh, not safe for work stuff, of course, to your Patreon as well, which I think is a brilliant move, in in my personal opinion. Is there a comic that made you feel the way you hoped readers of your work will feel after oh. reading
0: it? Boy, that's that's the gold star question. This is, this is why you're very good at <laughs> at what you do. That because there is there is it's Phil Folio's Xenophile. Mm-hmm x x x e n o p h i l e uh way back in the day in the late 70s i think early 80s if i if i've got it right uh phil folio who does a comic called girl genius along with kaya folio his wife back in the day he did a triple x rated sci-fi fantasy comic okay and i stumble upon this thing and i uh I was amazed by it because it was, it was, it was a sex comic. There was no, no bones about that. It was, it was everything that you're envisioning nudity, sexual content, sexual stuff happening, but it was also wickedly funny, amazingly friendly. The people were happy, right? The the people were, were overjoyed and happy. And, and, and it was, it was it was all it was the closest to a family friendly sex comic I'd, I'd ever seen, yep. and and the concepts were uh, uh you know it was Phil Folio so the concepts were were very smart, very uh, intriguing. Uh, it was it was great stuff, and I looked at that and I said, I if I ever do that kind of thing. And I've been leaning towards it for a long time. You can see back in Evil Lake, this is the the, the road to NSFW has been paved for a long time. (laughs) This has been leading there for a long time. I said, if I ever do that, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to do uh, happy, friendly sex comics that are funny, and that are intriguing, and that are well-written, that that have stories, that have meaning. I was right on the precipice. This goes back to New York Comic Con several years ago. I was on the precipice. I think I'm going to do this thing. I had put a couple practice balloons out uh, on my Patreon, and my readers were very, very supportive of it. So I pulled Phil aside. Uh, he was at the New York Comic Con. And I said, hey, would you mind if I, if I picked your brain about doing... Uh, not safe for work comics. And he said, sure. I ended up taking him to an Indian restaurant uh, somewhere within walking distance. We sat there and talked about this topic and he listened to my concerns. He told me uh, pitfalls to avoid, uh, you know, uh, some guidance, some advice, but a lot of listening and a lot of reassurance took an amazing amount of time with me. And by the time I left, I, I kind of knew that I was going to do this thing. I had decided uh, without a doubt that this was something that I wanted to, uh, to pursue. I don't think I would have had quite an, such a, uh, an easy time deciding to uh, just in one fell swoop, but it, I'm going to do it. I think I would have uh, snuck up on it a whole lot more than I did. But when I talked to Phil. He, he really gave me a lot of guidance and advice and, uh, and, and really, it was a huge turning point uh, for my career because the funny thing happened was when I started doing NSFW behind for just strictly for my Patreon backers, all of a sudden, they started paying attention to the public version, which was PG-13, much, much more closely. And and it actually turned into this virtual cycle that the NSFW created more of an interest in what was going on out front. What was going on out front gave more interest because I would always have maybe if, if there was su- I, there, a lot of times a storyline is continued in Evil Ink After Dark when it reaches a certain point that I can't, you know, uh, put it out in public anymore. So that would hand off to Evil Ink After Dark. Evil Ink After Dark would make people more interested in, e- in the public facing. And it became something that kind of fed on itself. It was a big turning point, which is why. It's such a delight right now. I don't know whether you know about this, but the National Cartoonist Society uh, just uh, released its nominations for their Silver Reuben Awards, which is what they used to call them their divisional awards. And they've got a category for long-form online comic. And the three nominees are Dave Kellett, my co-host for Comic Lab, Phil Folio, somebody who's mentored and, and really been a, a sweet guy to me, and me. So... <laughs> No matter who wins, when we go to that ceremony later on this September, literally, and I've I've said similar. I was up for an Eisner once, and I always said, it's just an honor to be nominated. It was an honor to be nominated. I said that over and over. It was an honor to be nominated. I got to be honest with you. When I didn't get that award, it was not an honor to be nominated. I wanted to win that award. I'm going to be happy as a as a damn kid, uh, no matter who wins, because if Dave wins, I respect that guy so much. And he's such a sweet guy and, and he deserves it. He's a fantastic cartoonist. If Phil wins, same story. And if I win, screw those two guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go up and make my <laughs> announcement. But no, seriously, I, I, I could be happy no matter what, because they're all great guys.
1: Funny you mentioned Phil, because I had him back on the show uh actually at the beginning of this year. So, yeah. and similar to in your case, it had been 14 years since I had last spoken to him. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm trying to go back through my old archive and I want to pick the brains of past guests that I've had on the show. And I think, uh, I think I have to, you know, talk to Scott and, and Dave and Chris, you know, yeah. get them, get them back on for a little bit longer. Chat in, in the future hopefully someone can make that happen. What was an early experience where you learned that language had power?
0: Oh wow uh, I, 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 uh, uh, as somebody who tries to write humor and and I I, I always kind of step back as, uh, from saying that I'm a humor writer. I'm somebody that tries to write humor. Uh, uh, the power of language really comes through when you try to write a joke uh, because you could you could come up with a great concept. You could come up with a very good concept. And if you've got the wrong word in there, or if you've got too many words in there, or if you've got the wrong, uh, the words in the wrong order, or or if there's a way that's, uh, uh, to do it that's a little bit quicker, has a little bit better rhythm, has a little bit better tonality to it. it it's the difference between a, a, a joke that's not funny, a joke that's kind of funny, and something that's very funny. And it and it really all comes down to language. Language is extremely, extremely powerful. It'll knock you on your butt uh as it, the minute you try to write humor because it, it really comes down to word use.
1: And it also has an effect on people as well, too, not only through and, and especially in today's age with technology and and anonymity and you know mini yeah. fans at conventions and everything like that. There there's a lot of interactions where a a simple mis misphrase could turn someone's happy day into a sad one at that
0: yeah that's the truth that's very much the truth and i don't think we words have become so disposable now that i don't think we think about the words we use so much because you know you 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 fire off a tweet you don't think about it anymore you know, it might be nice to get back to a place where we think about what we say, me included, <laughs> you know, because I know my wife is going to hear this. And I, <laughs> that'll be the first thing she'll look over at me and say is, yeah, yeah, you should talk. You you should be the first one to think about. Uh, and she's right. Uh, but it, it's something that we all could do a little bit better is be a little bit more careful with our words.
1: What challenges do comic creators face in today's world that needs to be addressed.
0: ah well listen I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't immediately start talking about uh, artificial intelligence uh, especially in its uh, application of art and writing. That's a big one that and that's what the writer strike is one of the main issues that the uh, Hollywood writer strike is revolving around. And it's something that's coming for us as comics artists as well, a a little bit. I'll give you my whole AI thought. And I don't know whether whether this is helpful or not. Let's start with this. I I don't think anybody is upset about AI as a technology. The whole idea behind AI as a technology is perfectly fine. The problem that most artists have with it is that it was never opt-in. Our work and other people's work, photographs, illustrations, so on and so forth, were kind of fed into this thing without any thought to, hey, can we have your permission? Can we compensate you? Can we talk about what it might look like if you were to opt in? Uh, It was more of a, in fact, very few times was it even opt out. It was just the option was made by somebody in another room. That, that, That was it. And that really, that, that issue of consenting to have your work part of this and the ramifications of that, I think that's the biggest thing. And I, I can't speak for everybody, but that's, uh, that's, that's what many people are upset about uh, is, is that there is that thing. Now, taking that uh, uh, on its face, the problem is it's not going away, right? Technology d- never goes away. It, it, it just doesn't, Right. So now the question is how do we go forward with that? I've got a couple thoughts on that. Number one, I really do think that right now we are in a big, big novelty phase. There's lots of news stories about this guy that did a children's book using AI art and it's it's being sold right now and it's it's selling, it's on the bestseller list and this and that. And newspapers jump at these stories very eagerly, right? the full story is somewhere uh, a little bit more nuanced. And we're seeing a lot of these. Somebody's written it, and it's a lot of children's book stuff, uh, simple sentences, one sentence on a page, illustration. We're in a novelty phase right now where we're seeing a lot of that. And right now, Amazon is getting flooded with a bunch of things that are word soup, just novels that You couldn't actually read them, but they're being uploaded and then they get bots to read through them on Kindle Unlimited and they generate a little bit of money for each one that gets read and they're gaming the system that way. Meanwhile, finding an actual book on Kindle Unlimited is more and more difficult because you can't separate the signal from the noise. So what does that mean? Well, number one, I think the novelty aspect is going to wear off pretty soon. After we've heard our 50th story about somebody that made a children's book with AI, at some point, they're going to start asking, is this work good? Is it good? Is it a good book? Is it a good comic? And right now, not so much, not so much. And and yes, I know it's going to get better. It's going to get better. But at some point... There's a level of creativity that we have that I refuse to believe an AI can duplicate, right? Because writing a novel, a story, point A to point B is one thing, but a, a story that has nuance and surprise and subtext and hidden, a good story, that's going to be another thing. I, I And I'll believe that when I see it.
1: There are some questions towards the end of this interview that I've been putting together for the last 12 years for a documentary called Little Person Amongst Media Giants. And I I believe I asked a a version of this way back when towards everyone actually at that very first C2E2, and I've been running with it ever since. So we'll get to those in a a second. And then there's a fifth fun one at the very end. So that's something that is rarely being heard these days. How do you think the birth of creativity was formed?
0: Oh, I, I, I want to say boredom. I want to <laughs> say boredom uh, because that's when I'm at my most creative is when I'm at my most bored. And, and par- sometimes when I'm, I'm facing writer's block, the biggest obstacle to getting writing again, to getting creative again, is allowing myself to get bored because that means turning the computer off, turning my phone off. Uh, you know, putting books down and putting them out of reach and allowing myself to really get bored. It's hard to do these days because we're surrounded by so many distractions. And it's also difficult to make that conscious decision to cut. My first guess is boredom. My second guess is trying to be attractive when you're not so attractive right? It's a way, I know an awful lot of cartoonists <laughs> that, that weren't, they weren't the football star in school. They weren't the cheerleader in school, but they could do this and they could get noticed and they could get a little bit of attention, right? I know that certainly was the case for me. I did that because it was one way that I could get attention because I wasn't going to be a baseball star. I wasn't going to be a, a lot of things, but this I could do and I hear that story from a lot of my friends that are in comics. They did that because this was a way that it was a healthy way they could get attention. And so my second guess would be that, was that it, it was a way for somebody to get more attention than than they would have otherwise been able to get. You know, that's, that's my second one. My third guess is Spike, because that's always been... A major drive uh, in my entire career is spite. I got. I started doing this because the newspaper syndicate said I couldn't. I said, "I'll show you. I'm going to put my stuff up on Google Cities. I'm going to build such a big audience that you're going to you're going to come crawling to me." And that didn't happen, but I kept going because if not today, then tomorrow, one of these days, they're going to come crawling on their knees. It's been 20 some years. Uh, (laughs) They are not crawling on their knees to me. They've got other things going on and, and, you know, God love them. But, but that spite has been driving everything that I do that I'll show them kind of thing has been at the background. So it's, it's gotta be one of those three things, boredom, spite, or getting attention.
1: And uh, what's that old phrase saying, uh, become an artist and you'll never have any money to do anything else.
0: <laughs> well, uh, it, 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 there is, there it, there is a part of that, that, that involves this period of time that you kind of go all in on that. And, and things get very lean during those time during those years.
1: Come con scene, I should say has, has been vastly uh, amazing over the past 20 or so years here from brand new conventions popping up to digital comic conventions. I've seen as well To here. What do comic conventions hold for you in your heart when you visit one for the first
0: time? Uh, fond memories. I realized well over 10 years ago that comic conventions were a bad business decision. And so I stopped going. <laughs> I stopped going as an exhibitor altogether well over 10 years ago because I wasn't making money. I had to take a really hard look at uh, the amount of money I was spending going to conventions and the amount of money I was making. And I wasn't making enough profit. Sometimes it wasn't making any profit. Uh, That that weekend at C2E2, I think I came home in the hole uh, on that one. It was a hard decision, but I I stopped going to conventions a long time ago. Uh, And I've been really, on Comic Lab, I've been really trying to convince people that they they should at least consider that before they go. They can should consider the cost. And the pushback on that at all is always networking and stuff like that and, and the and the intangibles. I'm telling you that's that's an awful expensive way to network. <laughs> uh and, and you better be doing some amazing networking if you're going to be doing that. And especially if you're putting that stuff on a credit card. You're going to make your 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 eventual transition into business. Uh, very difficult if you're saddling yourself with that kind of stuff. However, having said that, in the early 2000s, comic conventions were great. I did about 12, between eight and 12 a year. I, I did a lot of comic conventions because in the early days, they were profitable. Okay. They, they were very profitable. Uh, unfortunately, those comic conventions don't exist anymore. And uh, comic conventions in general, really aren't about comics anymore. And by the way, I don't even think that's a bad thing, right? It's like, it's become about cosplay. It's become about getting autographs from actors and so forth. I think that's okay. I think that's great. That's what the people want. And I'm perfectly happy with that. Okay. I'm not one of these people that are kind of down on the mouth about, oh, well, they they don't make them like they used to and, and all this other stuff. I'm okay with that because at the same time that started happening, crowdfunding started coming around, things like Kickstarter and Patreon. And the fact of the matter is, is that once people did get used to uh, putting money on a website, uh, right, on Kickstarter and Patreon, something that back when I started webcomics.com, they did not want to do. They didn't didn't want to do it, didn't trust it, didn't think they should have to. The uh, the attitudes are a lot different. And at the same time, comic conventions receded, uh, crowdfunding crested. And I would wager that many of us are in a much better position today doing crowdfunding than we were back in the early 2000s doing comic conventions and ad revenue from our websites. Uh, We're in a much, most of us, not everybody, but most of us are in a much, much better place today.
1: And that's what I also notice when I talk to a lot of creative people, whether they're in comics or film or, or music or video games, I the crowdfunding has been a staple for, like you said, for for their business models, for their comics yeah. and for their products. And it's great to see. But running a Kickstarter or running a crowdfunding campaign is like a, a second job, usually. It's, it's very difficult and very time consuming, much like we were talking earlier about how social media was shouting into the void. it felt yeah.
0: like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, well, yeah, that's the truth. And it can, it, it, it can, it can, it you can get burned uh, uh, with a successful Kickstarter or a, uh, being successful on Patreon. It, it can be, you can make promises that are difficult to keep. It's very, very uh, hard to do good crowdfunding. But then again, that's what our challenge is, right? You can look at that and say, oh, geez, you know, I'm, I'm you know, you can be frustrated, disappointed, but on the other hand, Right you can you can take what we're talking about here being your own business person and 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 using social media and crowdfunding and so forth you can take all of that on one hand on the other hand your other choice is to sign with a corporation uh in comics a newspaper syndicate a corporate comic uh, publisher any other publisher in general right uh the problem with that is is that we've had 120 years of comics history, during which for the entire span of time, there are very precious few people who survived that system. Very few creative people, a lot of people at the top who did just well, uh, just, just fantastic, but very few creative people that came through that system of working with publishers and syndicates and corporations. Very few of those people came out good at the end they, they came out in good shape i will argue that there was a very small span of time for newspaper syndication where if you got selected if you made it through the gate uh, you could become a millionaire as a creative person and and you did very very well because at that point let's call it 50s through the 70s and, and into the 80s you got to include the 80s during that time newspapers were a dominant media force And a comics trip was a a huge part of that dominant media. So if you got on the comics page, you could write your ticket. Aside from that, which by the way, is gone, never coming back, right? Those days are gone. Newspapers are almost dead. And newspaper syndicates are not coming back from that. They're just not, okay? Other than that, you know, you go to the, the Siegel and Shuster who created the Superman. I, please tell me I got those names right. Cause I've, I've, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm doubting. See, doubting.
1: I, I believe it's Siegel and Shuster.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. But they made what, $140 for Superman, yeah. right? And then they couldn't, they, it wasn't until like that 1970s Superman movie came out that the fans forced DC to give them a little bit more money. Jack Kirby is another great story there. Uh, Wally Wood, uh, Steve Ditko. At the comics landscape is littered throughout 120 years of comics history of people that went into contracts with uh, corporations and came out that with don't don't believe me go to gofundme right now go it, it, maybe i'm full of shit pause the podcast go over to gofundme put in comic creator or comic inker or comic penciler and look at how many names come up, you'll start scrolling and scrolling and scrolling of all the people who need GoFundMe to get a liver transplant or to get or for a heart condition or or to go see the dentist this week. Scroll right through them. They got chewed up and spat out by the system. And it's been 120 years, folks, and it ain't going to change. Corporations, let's face it, at at this point, we don't get to be surprised by it anymore. Corporations (laughs) exist to create a profit right? If it comes down between giving your artist better healthcare and better profit, profit's going to win. If it's going to come down between giving a better page rates for the creators or better profits, profit's going to win, right? We don't get to be surprised by this anymore. So Yes, crowdfunding is a bear. It's it's a whole full-time job. Uh, social media is frustrating as it can possibly be right now. The only problem is the other decision that you've got to make has 120 years telling you how it's going to end up. Every time I get tempted to say, <laughs> to say, oh, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. I just don't, I don't want to try and figure out the, the one more way to make social media work. Uh, I look at 120 years and I'm like, Back to work, Geiger. You're gonna have to figure this out because 120 years tells you you ain't going the other way.
1: I'm gonna dive into my introspective questions. I, I can't follow up on that, other than the <laughs> fact the only the only way I could follow this up on is when Dave Clut did the stripped documentary. Yeah. Now it's the webcomics basically saying, see in newspapers, you know, we we've we've survived, you have <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, to an extent, but I, I mean, I don't want to get too cocky because you know that day is coming for us too if if we're not careful, right? And some people say maybe already has come, and, and that believe me, that that keeps me up at night is is that that whole idea because we came in in the two thousands and. Uh, the newspaper syndicated cartoonists really, by and large, hated us because they saw us as part of the problem. We were giving it away for free and we weren't real cartoonists. They resented us. And as a result, we never really got a chance. In many cases, there were some some standout moments, like Phil Folio is a great example, that story I told earlier. But for the most part, being able to access that older generation to get Uh, institutional knowledge to get to get advice and stuff Uh, when we came into comics my generation uh, it was very contentious we had we were constantly fighting with the older generation which is a a huge reason that i kind of do what i do right between webcomics.com and writing the webcomics handbook and doing the comic lab podcast i've got a real passion for sharing whatever I've learned, right, right or wrong. (laughs) You know, you, you decide whether it's a good fit for you, but I want to share what I've learned because I never had that when I was getting in and starting in this profession. Uh, We never had that for the most part. And I relish the ability to take a young cartoonist and say, okay, let's talk about how you're positioning yourself on social media. Let's talk about how to write a punchline. Let's talk about uh, character design and stuff like that and and, and so you know I, and, and, and and I do consultations for that matter where I can I'll sit down and do one-on-one because all of that is something that I really am passionate about being able to be somebody that, even even if that if I talk to that person and they walk away like I did with ku many years ago and said Nah this guy's full of full of beans he's 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 not right even if that's what you do I've given you some way to look at it and th- that's something I'm passionate about it's something I really really get excited by is being able to talk with that new generation coming up and say I I got some thoughts for you so, and then because a lot of times. On one hand, maybe they do what I tell them and, and and I see them apply it, and they turn the corner and it and it's a victory. And sometimes I see them take what i what I showed them and they uh, transform it into something that's all their own and and they put their own spin on it. They put their own ingenuity behind it. and they come up with something completely different. And that's good too, you know
1: for those that are going to watch this and see the edited version, if you weren't here on the live stream, you're missing out on some really great content here. So, <laughs> thank you. Know, you. Thanks for all those that are actually sticking around to, to see this. So, I appreciate it. The last four questions are this, and <clears throat> it's similar to Inside the Actor Studio. They are introspective questions I was going to ask Stan Lee that never occurred. So, I ask creative and talented people like yourself these same four questions. Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you?
0: Oh, geez. I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can point one person out. Uh, I was uh, Scott Kurtz was a was an early one. Uh, I I took a look at what he was doing in when I first discovered web comics in two thousands, and I was like, I was like, he's the person to watch. He knows what he's doing. I I want to uh, emulate him, and and then when I met him, turns out he's one of the nicest people I've ever met, and we and just immediately took me seriously and and was was kind and approachable and uh we became friends instantly uh so so scott would have to be near the top and i'm gonna i gotta throw dave in as well uh my my comic lab co-host uh because i felt very similarly about him we had both come in at keen spot about the same time and uh he was somebody that had such an amount of polish to his work so early on. And somebody also was very, very sharp in regards to the business kind uh, side of comics that I, 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 he was somebody that uh, was very inspirational, but I'll be honest with you. If I had to go for the number one person and you're going to laugh and, and that's fine. Uh, but it's, it's my wife. And I'll tell you why, because Way back when I started doing this, uh, it was a a six-day-a-week comic that I did for years with no breaks. There was never a break, okay? Uh, And then it became a a five-day-a-week after a few years. But the first several years of my doing this was, uh, was six days a week, took an enormous amount of work. I was working pen and ink. It was a huge amount of time. And although I thought I was spinning gold, I can look back on it now. I can, I can look at that work in my studio and, and say, that was not great work. (laughs) You know, you were not writing, you were not writing great. I, I had flashes of brilliance. Don't, don't get me wrong, but by and large, I was not, I was not spinning the gold that I thought I was, uh, But I was passionate about it. I had a passion for comics, which I think is probably as important as drawing or writing is is just having that drive. I look back and and I think about all of the time that I spent on doing that. And, And people in our social circles every now and again would pull her away, you know, so she was away from me. And they'd say, what do you really think about that? What do you really think about all the time he spends on comics? What do you think about that? And she would always look him in the eye and say, nah, it's cheaper than therapy. And uh, having her in my, especially when I look back at that early stuff, I don't know why, I don't know what she saw. I don't know why she believed. I don't know why she was always my number one fan. Uh, (laughs) Back in the day, back in the day for GeoCities. I uh we had a very rudimentary web counter, right? Rudimentary. And every day in the early, early days, I was getting closer and closer to having a hundred visitors on my website. Kurt, a hundred. I was getting closer and closer. One day I come home from work or and I worked at the newspaper at the time. Come home from work and I was kind of down. And she says, Well, what's got you upset? And I said, I had 99 today. I came this close to this goal that I've had of having a hundred. I had 99 visitors today. Can you imagine 99 people re- read my crummy comic? That's amazing. But 99 and she got real quiet. And I said, what well, now, why are you upset? She said, I forgot to visit today. <laughs> she would have been my 100, but, uh, uh but, 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 it, whether she was number 100 or not she was always there i'm here because she was there and she always this was has always been a team effort uh for for us and uh if i've got if if i've gotta put somebody in the number one spot it's it's her
1: And the fact that she'll be watching this as well. And if you didn't mention her, she uh... she
0: is now, I'm going to drag her to it now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and it happens to be true. I'll I'll be, I'll be really honest with you. When it comes down to it, after 20 years, I've seen a lot of people uh, that were twice as talented as I, twice, twice the writer, twice the artist, twice the everything, And sometimes I really do think that the only difference between me and that person is they didn't have a life partner. Like I had, I honest to God, it comes sometimes it comes down to that stuff.
1: From a professional standpoint, you of course have an amazing career in of course, comics for over 20 years. You have webcomics.com and of course, comic lab podcast with another amazing co-host with of course, Dave Collette. And so professionally you're successful in that regard do you consider yourself personally successful?
0: Ah, uh, I'm I'm only successful in the rear view mirror. I'm never successful looking out front of the windshield. I'm only successful in the rear view mirror. When I can look back and say, Oh my God, I'd done it for another year. I, I, they, they didn't find me out for the fraud that I am. Right. They, I, I didn't, I, they, they didn't all come crumbling down. I did. I, didn't, uh, you know, do something, hor- you know, horribly stupid and bring my business down. I left my day job 10 years ago. Uh, and basically, because I, I the, the newspaper was having layoffs, and it was very clear that I was either going to take the buyout or get cut. Uh, but the first, first couple of years of those 10 years were really touch and go. And, and, and then just all of a sudden I realized last year, 2022, that it, and in April, it had been 10 years that I have been doing this. And this has been my, my main source of income and we've been doing well. We've been able to, we've been able to do the things that we want to do. That is successful. That feels like success, but it's always in the rear view mirror. <laughs> Am I going to be successful by the end of 2023? I have no idea it, 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 it cuz as uh, it feels great to have done it but the the next month is never promised next year is never promised so successful with an asterisk i'm i'm successful in the rearview mirror
1: that's the first i've heard that out of all the years i've been asking that question i like that yeah. the reverse of success is failure yeah. how do you deal with your failures <laughs>
0: I'm going to tell you the truth, and then I'm going to tell you what I want you to believe. The truth is loudly, angrily, with a lot of pouting, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of loud noises uh, is how I deal with my fa- with my failures. That's that's the truth. Now I'm going to tell you what I want you to believe, uh, and actually the two work hand in hand because in, in, in going into the second part after I'm done pouting. After I'm done yelling and screaming, uh comes this next part that I want you to pay attention to a little bit more than the pouting. Uh wait, wait, I, I, and here's another one where my wife comes in, because we have kind of like a shorthand when something uh devastating or drastic or or disappointing as a career setback, uh, she'll come up, or and I've I've done this with her too. Uh it, it's a two-way street. We'll come up to the other person and say, uh, all right you got 24 hours 24 hours of pouting and then done and then we got to we've got to fix it we've got to move on we've got to do what comes next and we give each other a 24 hour pouting window and then it becomes time to do this next part and the next part is when i am done pouting and sometimes it takes a little over 24 hours, I remind myself of all the other failures I've had because every major failure that I've had was something that led the way to either knowledge or another different type of success that I I couldn't have been prepared for, right? My biggest failures were also my biggest learning moments. I learned so, you learn so much more from failure than you do from success, uh, you learn so much by screwing things up. There's stuff uh, from from the fact that I priced my first book wrong and when it went out to Diamond and they made their first, it was very popular, uh, surprisingly enough, and they made their first order since I had printed uh, at the wrong price on my book. And since I had guessed wrong, I had the complete wrong way of coming up with the price for a book. When I went to fill that order, uh, I realized that I was about three to $500 in the hole in other words, I wasn't making a profit. I was paying Diamond to get these books into comic shops to the tune of three or $500. I learned about pricing a book after that, <laughs> and I never forgot it. And failure is like that. It stung like hell that first time to have had that experience. It really hurt, but I learned so much uh, in doing that it made me a better business person. And, and speaking as a, as a, as an artist, as a business person, as a human being that has made a lot of failures uh, that, that came with a lot of learning, right? Uh, at watching my comic after I had quit my day job and my comic, my entire business was built on the ad model, right? I was making my mortgage payments on ads. Okay. When ad blockers came up that, very quickly funneled down. Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But it led me to a point where I had to solve problems, solve business problems, uh, innovate in ways that I I hadn't thought of innovating. Made money happen uh, because I had to make money happen. Right. One of Phil's piece of advice, Phil Folio. One of his advices: don't have a plan B. <laughs> Don't have a plan B because then you'll use it. And if you don't, if you only have a plan A and you're you find yourself on your keister, you're gonna find a way to make plan A work because there is no plan B. Not so sure whether in today's economics, I'm not so sure I feel comfortable giving that advice to somebody else, but be that as it may, that's the situation I found myself in. And that's when I first started to look into crowdfunding and things like Kickstarter and Patreon. After that, the strength of my business, after having left advertising completely and gone all in on crowdfunding, it's night and day. I'm in a much better place, but it wouldn't have come without the failure of that first system that I'd put in place. So after the pouting comes the reminding myself that these moments even though they really, really suck, are usually the way you get to the next step, and you've got to get in there and do all the hard work and make it over to the other side, uh, so that you can show up on a podcast later and talk about it.
1: <laughs> Funny you mentioned the whole plan A thing from Phil because he mentioned the same thing earlier this year. So it's yeah. still a staple for uh, yeah for his for for the advice in general. I love it. The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as a comic creator, podcast, co-host or host, or maybe it's a business model of some kind that they've made similar to webcomics.com giving advice. Maybe you've inspired them in some way, shape or form. How can they inspire the generation that follows them?
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, Listen, uh, the fact that they would be uh, this fictional person uh, would be asking that question in the first place is actually the biggest step. Uh, the way to, uh, that I think that you can be inspirational is to do your best work and to be uh, helpful to somebody when whenever you can. If somebody's got a question, you answer it to the best of your ability. If they've got a, a, a situation, you can't you can't step in. You can't stop and, and donate hours and hours of time necessarily. But you can answer simple questions. You can point people in directions. It goes back to that whole way that we came into comics in the early 2000s. Again, uh, We came in very, very much under duress. And I think the best way to be inspirational is, is to be available right, is is to be available and open yourself up to sharing that stuff. And also, not for nothing, to be willing to to hear somebody say, "Eh, that's not for me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because the damnedest thing about inspiration is you don't get to decide how they're inspired. You might be trying to inspire somebody to go left, and they're hearing you, and they're going to go right you know you don't get to you don't don't get to call your inspiration you be, you've got to be willing to accept that they're going to take that inspiration and go their own direction with it and and that's their right that that's their prerogative
1: if your life was a comic book what would its title be and what would its soundtrack be
0: oh well let's see <laughs> i think the best title uh for my book would be delusions of grandeur not delusions with an E, but dilusions with an I. In other words, grandeur diluted down. I think that's a very apt title uh, because sometimes we get trapped into this mindset of thinking I'm doing all this great important amazing work and and to be a creative person you've got to be a little have a little bit of an ego right that's something we don't talk about much but even the shyest among us even the ones that are beset with imposter syndrome, we still have a, have a, a little bit of ego to say I'm still going to make that creative choice and put it out there Right. And so that would be kind of my book, hopefully would come with the reminder that as as grand as you think it all is, at the end of the day, it's just comics. It's something that somebody is going to read. It's going to take them five seconds to read that thing that you spent hours on. And, and that's okay. The goal is to kind of make that person's life a little bit brighter in those five seconds and, and to instill a relationship where they come back and have another five seconds later. So this thing that we think is very grand uh, is actually kind of diluted down from what we think it is. And that's okay. Uh, in fact, it's still a, a lot better than, uh, than many of us get in terms of satisfaction. Uh, in terms of the soundtrack, that's that I, I'd have to really think about that one. <laughs> part of me, part of me, the uh, part of me is very, very tempted to go with a Weird Al uh, soundtrack, or even go even further back to Spike Ooh. Jones, who was a predecessor to uh, Weird Al back in, in, in I think in the 1940s. Yeah, because he had some World War II stuff. In other words, stuff that does not the the, the common thread between those things is that it's actually music musically in terms of its musicality, very good stuff, very excellent musicians, great uh, talent going into that stuff. And it completely does not take itself seriously. And that's kind of my goal for myself is to someday build up my skills to the extent that somebody thinks that I'm doing Uh, a high quality of work. Then it's something I'm always trying to kind of get towards, but at the same time, retain that taking yourself seriously. I think that's kind of where the, the the biggest amount of happiness is. Love it.
1: Well, Brad, I do hate to say it, but that ends this particular (laughs) episode of two geeks talking. I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show.
0: Thank you so much, Kurt. This was an absolute delight. I I really enjoyed this
1: before I let you go. Where can we find you? How can we support you? Of course, (laughs) Social media, Patrons, anything else you'd love to promote on the show?
0: No, fantastic. Well, uh, the best, the best place to point you is my website, uh, Evil Inc, which is Evil hyphen Inc com. If you go to Evil Inc. with a K, that's a Coheed and Cambria thing. And I've disappointed people at comic conventions for years when they came up looking for Coheed and Cambria and got me. So make sure you spell it with, an, with a C, hyphen evil-inc.com. And and that really is kind of the hub for everything. You can check me out on Twitter. It's just at Geiger, G-U-I-G-A-R, like guitar, but with a G for a T. And of course, check me out at Patreon. Patreon. We are absolutely having a ball over there. In terms of doing Not Safe for Work, I've got over uh, 1,400 Not Safe for Work comics and illustrations uh, that you get access to the minute that you sign up. And also, uh, we built a very friendly, wonderful group of uh, community of people who are comics fans that you get to uh, talk to on the Discord and everything. So check that out at patreon.com slash Geiger. Nice
1: well like i said that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking you can of course find this interview in a thousand plus others actually it's probably 1200 by now but i've lost count nice. so good for you <laughs> thanks it's it's been a long journey <laughs> at uh, tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com the website is going through an update so unfortunately it's not quite working very well Go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TGT media. The podcast is back after 12 or so years because of reasons. And you can find that at two or just search for two geeks talking on any of your favorite podcast streaming services. And as I say, every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening, and watching on two geeks talking.